Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. There is, um, there's a popular verse that we use in Uncommon Culture, uh, talking about being both kings and priests. It's from Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. He, the Lord, has made us kings and priests to God his Father, God and Father, and to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. So that's a popular verse around here because a lot of Christians see themselves as, as kings and they think intellectually and systems and schedules and plan and time. And that is true and that is a part of our character and nature. But other people see themselves, I'm a priest and I'm a, I'm a worshiper and I'm an intercessor and I just want to be in to the holy of the holy of the holy of the holiest. And that's true too. But the Bible says that we're not one or the other. We are meant to be both. We are kings and priests. Now to the New Testament church, you know, to us, this is like inspirational and exciting and yes, praise hallelujah. But you have to remember to people 2,000 years ago, especially to the ancient Jewish people, this was kind of a, a mind bend because in Jerusalem there were priests but there were also kings. You, you didn't have both necessarily. I mean, the, the really the only incident we look back to is Melchizedek. Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14, um, this is before, you have to remember, this is like before Abraham became Abraham. He's still just Abram. Like this was long before uh, Moses and the Ten Commandments and Mount Sinai. Like this is, this is way early uh, in, in Genesis chapter 14. If you haven't read this story, I just uh, let that be part of your homework to read Genesis um, chapter 14. But Melchizedek was referred to as a king of Salem, a, a king of peace, but he was also referred to as a priest of the Most High God. So Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. He was a forerunner to what you and I are. Today I'm going to read and just teach out of one scripture. And I don't know that I've done this in a minute, where I just use literally one verse, and we're going to break it down basically word for word and, and kind of look at the Greek and try to get the real meaning and context. It's going to be found in the book of Hebrews chapter 7, if you want to flip there in your Bible. And then, um, I, I guess I should set up, if you've never read the book of Hebrews, let, let that be your homework. You should read the book of Hebrews this week. I was reading it this last week, and I got to chapter 7, and I got to this one verse, and it's as if it was just glaring off the page. And I knew that I had to talk about it this morning. But if you don't know Bible stuff, we'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. Uh, so the author is still unknown. A lot of people have a good guess. We know the audience was Jewish people, thus the name of the book being the book of Hebrews. So it, it was a letter of instruction that was written to Jewish people in the first century, people that were still trying to wrap their mind around the fact that Jesus is and probably was the Messiah because for some they were sure and others they were unsure. So the book of Hebrews was written to take people on a journey through the history of the Jewish people and point to Jesus as the Messiah. I lied and I said, I'm only gonna read one verse. We're gonna read a ton of scripture today. We're only gonna talk about one verse. Let's pick it up in verse one. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, he met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and he blessed him. And to him, Abram apportioned a 10th part of everything. So he tithed, he gave Melchizedek one-tenth of everything he owned. He was at first, by translation of his own name, the king of righteousness. 
He was also the king of Salem. That is to say he was the king of peace. Melchizedek, the king or priest, is our example. And then the chapter goes on to talk about after uh, Melchizedek to the Levitical priest. Now this is uh, Moses, Ten Commandments, setting up the tabernacle and instituting a priesthood and people would make sacrifices and they would worship at the tabernacle and then later at the temple, but it was the Levitical priesthood he's talking about in Hebrews chapter 7. We won't get into it. Jump down to verse 11. He said, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is perfection in God's eyes was impossible through the Levitical priesthood. It was good, but it wasn't great because through the Jewish law and the sacrifices, you could, you could get close, but you couldn't fully know the Lord because of the sin issue. The Levitical priesthood, people's sins could be covered, but their sins could not be removed. So the, the writer of Hebrews is, is kind of dangling this bait, and he's, he's being a little bit, I don't know, I don't want to say sarcastic, but he's like, perhaps, you know, if we had another priest who was in the order of Melchizedek, he was kind of king and priest, if only we could have this type of Messiah. And then perhaps if we had a king-priest combo platter, let's talk about it in verse 17. For it is witnessed of him, referring to Jesus, that you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey guys, it is Jesus that is both king and priest. And remember the audience, he's talking to Jewish people in the first century. This was crucial, and we think of it in, in you know, Gentile 2023 20, ears. Verses like this, for the writer of Hebrews to tell Jewish people, Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek. He is a king and he is a priest. He is the king of kings and he is the great high priest. So then jump down to verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. There's a far better covenant than the Levitical covenant. The Levitical covenant was good, but the covenant that Jesus guarantees is better. And here's why. The former priests, they were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in their office. Even the greatest priest in the tabernacle or the temple was a man that eventually died. Verse 24, but he, referring to Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he, Jesus, continues forever and ever and ever. Verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a great high priest. Jesus is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens." Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus does guarantee a better covenant than the Jewish people had known before them. And he is still alive, and he is still priest, and he will be forever. So this was a, a giant 
chapter for the Jewish people to swallow. Like you have to imagine, see back then there's no you know, email, there's no Xerox copier. These letters were handwritten, hand copied. So eventually a, a community of Jewish people got a hold of this letter and they're curious about Jesus and they're reading stories like this and instruction like this. This is melting their face off. We're like, oh, praise the Lord, that was nice. They're hearing it for the first time and they're like, Jesus is the great high priest, innocent, unstained by sin, exalted above the heavens. Today I told you we're going to just read one verse. I don't know what verse stuck out to you when I read that, but to me, I kept reading all week over and over and over again verse 25. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he, Jesus, always lives to make intercession for them. Whenever you see a consequently or in other translations, it'll say therefore, you have to figure out what is the therefore, therefore. So up until, that's verse 25. So what the writer is saying, verses 1 through 24, all of this about Melchizedek, all of this about the Levitical priesthood, all of this about Jesus being the guarantor of a new covenant. Because of all this, Jesus is able to save. Because Jesus is the great high priest, because Jesus is the king of kings, he can save forever and ever and ever. Because the Levitical priesthood was good, but Jesus came with a sacrifice and a way to know God that was better, he can save forever and ever. Because he is alive forevermore, he was, he is, he is to come, he is able to be our savior. He is more than able, more than able to overcome. Think about whatever difficult situations you're facing in life right now or you have faced. Something in life that is just like too much for me. For, for, for me, I remember, you know, I was okay in math until I got to like junior year and the math head came to me and is like, you mind doing um, Algebra 1 again? And I'm like, no, yeah, you got that joke? This is not a joke. This is my true story and how I handle maths. I'm like, you want me to go back with the freshmen and do Algebra 1 again? And they were like, yeah, you didn't quite get it the first time. I'm like, do I still get like upper level credit and I can graduate? They're like, fine, you just, you're not a math person. So in life, sometimes we face things, finances, relationship, marriage, parenting, work, whatever. And it's like, this is hard for me to understand. I'm telling you, you have a God in heaven that is more than able. Jesus is all we need to overcome these difficult areas. In fact, Jesus, remember Luke chapter one? And Mary is like, hey, how, am I, how is a virgin gonna have a baby? And the Lord said, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. Whatever difficult situation in your life you're facing, nothing is impossible for God. And in this application, he's saying, therefore, consequently, because Jesus is alive and he's amazing, he's able to save. More than able to save. Let's talk about that word save. In Greek, it's the word sozo. And that word has many different meanings. Yes, one of them means to save, but it also means to preserve. It means to protect. It, it ever had like an old car, an old house? It means to restore like new or better than new. It means to heal and it means to deliver from bondage. 
So the word sozo is extremely powerful because he's saying we have a great high priest and we have a king of kings and Jesus is the overseer, the guarantor of a new covenant and he is more than able to sozo us. He is more than able to protect, heal, provide, uh, preserve, restore us. Matthew chapter one, that, that, that girl Mary, she's gonna have a son. You guys should name him Yeshua, Jesus, which means salvation. And in him, he will sozo the people from their sins. See, our sin has caused so much pain. Our, our parents' sin, our grandparents' sin has caused so much pain. And if we don't deal with the sin issue in our lives, the next generation is gonna be dealing with the effects of it. Our friends, our roommates, our nieces, our nephews, our children, our grandchildren will deal with the effects of our sin unless you and I undergo sozo from our sins. Because when we sin, we open the door to fear, we open the door to pain, we open the door to heartache and addiction and loneliness, and eventually the Bible says sin will lead us to death. But God, he's more than able. And he came to sozo us in our body, our soul, and our spirit. He came to save us from ourselves, from our sin, from our pain. He restores us better than new. He preserves us and he protects us. There's an interesting thing with, I looked it up in the Greek, and this word that was chosen by the writer of Hebrew, the way he used sozo, we imagine, and oftentimes the verse is used in the past tense, Something about God or Jesus sozoed us in the past. Interesting, in Hebrews chapter 7, he is sozoing us in the present tense. It's not a one-time thing that happened in our past. He is constantly sozoing us. He is constantly saving us over and over and over again. So sometimes we'll be like, well, praise the Lord, I got saved whatever years ago. But if you only think you got saved once years ago, you're missing the point of salvation because Jesus came to sozo us, to save us over and over and over again. Yes, we do receive salvation from sin when we repent and ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins. We become a new creation. We become a child of the Most High God. But that is the past tense version of Sozo. This is the current present tense version of Sozo. He is currently saving me. He is currently restoring me. He is currently protecting me. He is currently healing me. He is currently delivering me. So being a Christian is not a one-time event. I raise my hand, I pray to prayer. That is sozo in the past tense. To really understand Jesus as the great high priest, we need to accept that we're constantly being saved. We're constantly being sozo. In fact, the Bible says we're being sozoed so much, it is to the uttermost. Now that phrase, to the uttermost, is another interesting phrase in Greek. It basically means from this moment until eternity, you're being sozoed. From the, that is what it means, to the uttermost. Forever and ever and ever, you're being saved from sin. Forever and ever and ever, you're being delivered. Forever and ever and ever, you're being protected. He is constantly sozoing you, not just in the past, but he's doing it right now, and he's gonna do it tomorrow, and he's gonna do it the day after that. See, you haven't just been saved from sin, you have been saved to something so much greater. 
We often think of our life as, well, praise the Lord. The Lord saved me from that thing. Yeah, but that's in the past tense. This is in the present tense. You have, a, you have been saved to the uttermost. You have been saved to something forever and ever and ever. Uh, Billy Graham, you know, the great evangelist of the last generation, as a young man, he became an alcoholic before he gave his life to Jesus. And after giving his heart to Jesus, and, and he wrote this sermon, and he often preached this sermon, and he would tell his testimony, he was saved. He said, I was saved from the guttermost to the uttermost. He was saying, I was saved from my past, but I have a, a, a bright hope and future. I, I, it wasn't just that the Lord saved me from something. He saved me to something, to the uttermost. So life has purpose. Life has meaning when you've been saved by Jesus. And I have to remind you of the audience. You're like, yeah, 2023, and praise the Lord, and I'm inspired. The original audience were, were Jewish people. And there was still a temple in Jerusalem. And there were still priests sacrificing animals in Jerusalem. And the writer of Hebrews is like, listen, I need you to see that Jesus is the great high priest. And there's no longer a need for you to make these constant animal sacrifices that are temporary. In fact, if you just flip over to Hebrews chapter 10, the writer explains it this way. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus once and for all. And every priest would stand daily in his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices over and over again, which could never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time when his enemies would be made a footstool under his feet because a single offering that Jesus offered, he has perfected for the uttermost, for all time, those that are now being sanctified. That word sanctified being made holy. In one act, Jesus did something that all of the millions of sacrifices at the tabernacle and the temple could never do. All day, every day, the priests had to make animal sacrifices before God. Just the, and it had to be done every year. But all that was doing was temporarily covering our sin. Jesus, in one selfless act, he allowed himself to be the, the sacrifice for your sin and my sin. And then after he rose from the dead, he sat down at the right hand of God and uses the devil as a footstool. Jesus did something the Levitical priests could never do. But Jesus saves us to the uttermost. Jesus makes us perfect, sinless. See, we often, we, even the long, it doesn't matter how long you walk with Jesus, one of the biggest lies of the enemy is that we're still sinners. When you repent of your sin, Jesus sanctifies you. He makes you holy. You're no longer a sinner. That's why the Bible refers to the believers as saints. You're no longer an orphan. You became a child of the Most High God. You have been adopted into the family. You have a loving Father in heaven. You will not experience death. Some people are so afraid of sickness and death. You can't scare me with going to heaven. You, as a believer, you will never experience death. You will only experience life and eternal life. We should never know defeat because the Savior that, that, that lives in our hearts sits at the right hand of God with using the enemy as a footstool. Some of you are like, that's a praise hallelujah. Is there a catch? Kinda. There's a catch. Hebrews, see if you find the catch. Let's go back and read it again. 
Verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to him, those who draw near to God through him. There's the catch. You want to experience this level of relationship with God. You have to draw near to the Lord. And it says, those who do that. Do you know what I love about the word those? It is an open invitation for all y'all. Those, it doesn't limit whether it was Jew or Gentile. It doesn't limit whether you're a man or a woman or old or young or rich or poor. Those is everybody is invited to draw near to God through Jesus. Remember, the audience was Jewish people. And the writer of Hebrews knew that in the ancient world especially, the Jewish people were experts at religion. They memorized the Bible. They kept countless laws to honor God. They were professional at serving God and knowing God. But the writer of Hebrews is trying to teach the people that were reading this letter. He said, guys, this is not a religious thing. Seven different times he says, I need you to draw near. And the imagery is that you would like grab the lapels of somebody and you'd pull them near to you. It is, it is, there's an intimacy, not necessarily a, ro a romantic thing. I mean, I guess it could be that you pull someone you love romantically in. It's, it's more like we need one another, so I'm going to pull on you, and you're going to pull on me, and we're going to draw near to one another. Or a parenting situation, if there's a, an unsafe situation, just instinct in any loving parent, they're going to reach out and pull a child near to them. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, guys, this is not a religious thing. This is a drawing near to God through Jesus. He is more than able to save us to the uttermost. But if you want to know God like this in this intimate way, you have to come through Jesus. Jesus is the only way. Hebrews chapter 4, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who in every respect has been tempted just like we were. But he didn't sin. Let us then, this is important, with confidence draw near to the throne of God. What's going to happen there? We would receive mercy. We will find grace that's going to help us in a time of need. How many of you in your life have ever been in a time of need? It's our response to draw near to the throne of his grace and mercy. See, Jesus is the very best high priest. He is the greatest king of all kings, but yet he sympathizes with our weaknesses here on this earth. Why? Jesus knows what it's like to live on this earth. Jesus knows and he's experienced the temptation to sin, but he always chose holiness. Jesus knows that the pain that we carry emotionally when a loved one gets sick or dies. There's no record of Joseph being alive, so Bible scholars assume that Joseph in some way died. So Jesus would have experienced pain and loss in this life, but no matter what he was tempted with, Jesus never sinned. That's not something great that Jesus did. That's an invitation for you and I to live a sinless life. If he did it, that means so can we. Did you see the word confidently? He said, listen, if you're gonna come to God through Jesus, you can come confidently to the throne of grace. 
You will receive mercy if you come confidently. In your times of need, when you need God the most, that is not the time to shrink away. That is the time to draw near to the throne of grace. He is inviting us. He is instructing us to confidently draw near. Think about the places in your life that you confidently draw near to. You, you walk into your apartment, you walk into your house, you turn the key, you open. Like, you don't walk into your own house like, I, I guess this is my house that I've paid the mortgage on for all these years. Woe is me. Like, you don't go to your fridge that you've stocked with your own food and be like, thouest fridge of mine that I bought everything in. I wonder if there's something for me. Like, nobody goes to their sock and underwear drawer like, uh, uh. They're your socks, they're your underwear. You go confidently in. You draw near confidently. You don't tiptoe around your own stuff. But somehow that's why we treat God like that. This is an invitation from God. This is what our worship services should look like. You have access to the throne of grace, so you should confidently come marching into the presence of God and say, I worship you, I love you, I bless you. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He said, guys, do you understand that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus. So there is an open invitation for us to draw near to God, to receive mercy and strength and salvation and sozo, but it only comes through Jesus, through him. We have to come through. Imagine a door you enter into. Jesus is that access point. Can I just give a little side note? this whole thing about salvation. It's a family thing. God is a loving father, but in life we often feel like orphans. We, we feel alone. We feel unwelcomed. We feel unloved. We feel overseen. We, we, we feel that other people are, are loved and accepted, but not me. We feel on the outside of our work and our school and our, even our church. We feel alone in this life. And then sin, golly, sin is such a, thing that, that eats our soul and it destroys us and we struggle with addiction to pornography or alcohol or weed or other harder drugs or we struggle with addiction to money or, or fame or, or, or notoriety or we, we, we just want to belong somewhere so we just so desperately try to find acceptance. But it's the sin that hurts us and it's the sin that separates us. But the Father loves you so much, he sent his Son to adopt you into the Father's family. He loves you so much that he sent his only son. And, and Jesus is saying, if you want to know the Father, there is room for you at the table. You have to come through Jesus, the Son. So the whole act of salvation is a family thing. It's a family thing. All right, back to finish up this sermon. You ever wonder what Jesus does all day, every day? Like, you know, we go to work, we go to school, we take a shower, we brush our teeth, you know, we know what we do all day, every day. What, what, what does Jesus do all day, every day? Back to our verse, consequently, he's able to say to the uttermost, those who draw near to him, since he, Jesus, always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus, in the present tense, right here, right now, is interceding for you. He is alive and he's interceding for you. See, oftentimes we read our Bible and we picture Jesus alive on the earth. Or we take an Israel tour with Brad and Josie in November, which registration is about to close. So if you're going, it's time to sign up. I was gonna say poop or get off the pot, but you're not allowed to say that in church. 
sign up or don't go on this Israel tour. We, we picture Jesus alive on the earth, maybe healing the sick, multiplying food, preaching the Sermon on the Mount, overturning tables in Jerusalem. It's easy to picture Jesus on the earth 2,000 years ago, but do you also picture Jesus alive, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, praying for you, interceding for you? That's what he's doing right now. First Timothy chapter two and verse five, there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. So the funny thing about that word mediator or intercessor is that some preachers have preached it like that we need a lawyer. And because of our sin, God is so mad and he wants to destroy us. Jesus gets in the middle and he's interceding in our behalf. God is so mad at us because of our sin. So please don't kill these people because of the price that I paid. But that makes God look out to be this tyrant that's trying to kill us. Now granted, I'm talking to believers. The writer of the Hebrews was talking to believers in Jesus. If you are not yet a believer in Jesus, there is a measure of truth to that because the Bible says that our sin has a penalty, a price, and that is death. But when we repent of our sin, we ask Jesus to forgive us Jesus becomes the Lord of our lives and we become his disciples and begin following him. He applies the work of the cross and he removes our sin and we are made holy and sanctified. So from that very moment, we no longer need a lawyer because our sins have been removed. We have been sanctified, we have been justified, we have been made holy and righteous in the eyes of God. So in that case, the term intercession means somebody that's looking out for us, somebody that's interceding, somebody that's encouraging us. He lives always to make intercession for the family of God. So instead of thinking of, of God as some tyrant and Jesus is just trying to hold back the hand of an angry God, listen, you're a believer in Jesus. Think of it more like this. Last month, our family went to the beach in North Carolina, my whole side of the family on, on my side. We all got together. And um, my uh, son, uh, Josh and Rebecca, my daughter-in-law, they have uh, done the greatest thing in the world after getting born again, and that is giving me a grandson. And um, he was the first great-grandson for my, uh, my parents. So I don't want to say there was like baby worship, but there was a lot of baby adoration from everybody in my family. He just, whatever he did was just the greatest, cutest, most amazing thing. And he could be in the room and we're all cooing and just staring at everything he did. And me and my mom are sitting on the couch and we're looking at him, but I'm like, my mom has missed most of the first two months of his life. So I literally pull out my phone and I'm just like, look, look at all these pictures of how cute he is. Just look at that one, look at that one, look at that one, look at that one, isn't he cute? Was that for me or is there a picture of my grandson behind me? Okay, good. Because I'm like, wow, you guys really love me. That's intercession. The father is looking down and Jesus is sitting at his right hand and he pulls out his phone and he's, make, he's like, hey, hey, I just want to highlight. Did you see how cute they are? Did you see how amazing they are? Did you see how they're reaching their city? Did you see how they worship? Did you see how they give? Did you see how they serve? He's making intercession by pointing the father's attention at you and I. He loves you so much. He's so proud of you. He's always talking about you. Isn't that what prayer is, talking to God? So he's talking to the Father about you. He paid his life for you, he ransomed you, so he's keeping an eye on his investment. 
It cost me everything for them to have this relationship with you. So I'm going to keep my eye on that investment. I'm going to make intercession. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to watch out for them. I've got my eye on you, and I'm so proud. I love you so much. Father, look, look what they did. Look, look, look. He thinks you're amazing. This morning, my grandson is starting to really get his hand. He'll teethe. Instead of a pacifier, he'll, he'll, he'll eat his own hand. But sometimes he, that, that, that urge to suck. He's only three months old, by the way. Like, don't think he's like, but like he'll jam his hand down his throat and start gagging, right? If that was like a 30-year-old, you think he's an idiot. But at three months, it's like, oh, it's so cute. So sometimes we do dumb stuff in life and we're like, oh man, I hope God didn't see that. He did and he thinks it's cute. He loves you, he's crazy about you. It doesn't matter what you do. Hop up on your feet. Why is it that Jesus can save us to the uttermost? Because he lives to make intercession. How does Jesus save us? Because he didn't save himself. He saw the need of our sin, your sin and my sin, it laid bare before the Lord Jesus. And he said, I'll take that to the cross. It can be put on my back and I'll be nailed to the cross on their behalf. Jesus defeated sickness, sin, and death so that you and I could be sanctified, live holy, and healed, and receive everlasting life. And today, now, we don't have to live in bondage because Jesus is handing out the keys. He didn't leave us alone, he gave us his Holy Spirit. So there should be a shift in the atmosphere when we realize that he is king and he is priest, that we were saved and we are saved and we are being saved for a reason. Our lives have meaning and purpose when we follow Jesus. We all, he's not mad at us, he loves us so much, he's crazy about us. He's inviting us into holiness and sanctification and purity. You know, often we think of ourselves as a victim of this world. It's like, man, can I get a break in this life? Isn't anybody looking out for me? Yeah. Jesus is literally sitting at the right hand of God saying, look at him. They lost their job. They lost a baby. They lost that relationship. They're going through a difficult season. But I made them more than conquerors. I've, I've seated them in heavenly places. I've put my Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, lives in you. What's Jesus doing right now? He's making intercession for you. You know what he's really waiting for us to do? Step out in faith. I don't know, you remember the old Indiana Jones movie, like before CGI, when they were still good. I forget which one, it was two or three, and he had to take that bridge across, he had to take a step of faith. And then once he got across, he threw some sand and you could see that there was a bridge there. Not so sure why he didn't throw sand in the first place, but the point is, he had to take a step of faith and the bridge backed him up. Jesus is looking down, waiting for you and I to take a step of faith and then he's gonna back you up with his intercession. So for some people it means becoming a U group leader, joining a dream team, ministering and, and really believing God for salvation, for people at your school, your work. For some people, that step of faith starts today by giving your heart to Jesus. Or maybe you've been gone from a relationship with God for a long time and it takes a huge step of faith to return to the Father through Jesus the Son. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this verse, it's, it's, it's so much to try to comprehend in 30 minutes. It's so much to try to comprehend 
through a Gentile mind in 2023 what the audience heard 2,000 years ago. So Lord, I'm asking that this verse would just continue to marinate, continue to soak and soften our hearts, continue to transform our lives, that we would never be the same again because we have a great high priest and because you are the king above every king and because you have created a covenant way that we can approach the, the throne of the Father with confidence because we have been adopted into your family. With every head bowed and every eye closed in prayer, if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're not right with God, you, you don't have that confident access to the Father because there's still sin in your heart. There is an answer for that. And that is repentance. That you'd ask God to forgive you. And he is so faithful and he is so just, he will wash you and cleanse you and you will receive the gift of eternal life. And he's gonna wash away your tears and your fears, your sickness and your sin, make you holy and adopt you and and lead you into the family of God because there is a, a place for you at the table with a loving father that's so proud of you but we can't enter into that place if we're gonna remain in rebellion and sin. So I wanna lead you in a prayer to ask God to wash you and cleanse you, to forgive you. Here's the the thing, I, I can't pray it for you. I can lead you, but it's your prayer. You have to believe it in your heart. Pray it out loud. Before we pray, I'd like to know who I'm praying for. This is where the step of faith comes in every head bowed and every eye closed. If you, if you need to pray this prayer for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, would you shoot your hand up real high? Just be brave and just say, preacher, pray for me. I see your hand. Is there anybody else? Just shoot your hand. I see your hand. Is there anybody else? Good. Yay, God. All right, YouTube. Two people shot their hand up right away and said, today is my day to get right with God. I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm going to get right with the Father through the Son, Jesus. If that's you, just right there watching YouTube, just shoot your hand up. It might be live right now, it might be two months from now, you're watching this replay. Just between you and God, just shoot your hand up. If you believe this prayer, I want you pray this out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. I repent and I surrender my life to you. I come confidently into your presence because of Jesus and his sacrifice. So Lord, forgive me. Wash me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And I receive the gift of eternal life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for interceding for me. I bless you, I worship you, I adore you. In Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen. Hey, for you two that got right with God, I am so proud of you. Wow, 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 yay God, yay God. All right, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna worship God immediately. I want you to draw near to the throne of grace. Immediately, I want you to enter into his presence in worship. 
when while we're worshiping the Lord, if you need prayer, our prayer team is coming down to the front. If there is pain in your body or sickness in your body, if you're facing a difficult situation, remember that you can come confidently and boldly into that place. But sometimes we just need somebody else to pray over us and, and just speak life over us and prophesy over us. If you were one of those that gave your heart to Jesus, we want you to screw in a light bulb on the Jesus wall. If you were too chicken to raise your hand, that's okay. Come pray with one of our prayer team. We want to begin to encourage you in your walk with God. We want to encourage you to take our growth track, which starts today, by the way. If you're at home watching online, text the name, the word Jesus, to 817-405-2244. That's gonna give an auto-response form. Please fill that form out and click submit. We wanna begin to pray for you and encourage you in your walk with God. We wanna put your name on a light bulb on the Jesus wall. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.